When Joe Biden was running for President of the United States, he made an interesting comment once. And I mean, that as long as Joe Biden has been a politician, that he has made exactly one interesting comment. He said, Those who say the tree of liberty is watered with the blood of patriots, a great line. Well, guess what? The fact is, if you're going to take on the government, you need an F-15 with Hellfire missiles. There is no way an AK-47 is going to take care of you. Yes, yes, I know it sounds dumb when I say it. I swear he said that. Okay, I know you don't believe me, but just listen. Now, and by the way, those who say the tree of liberty is water with the blood of patriots, a great line. Well, guess what? The fact is, if you're going to take on the government, you need an F-15 with Hellfire missiles. There's no way an AK-47 is going to take care of you. Yeah, I know. He said that. Now, I hate besmirching the good name of the Honorable Joe Biden, who they say fairly and totally legitimately <coughs> got more votes than Barack Obama or Donald Trump. No, I'm not going to point out the fact that F-15s don't fire Hellfire missiles. No, I'm not going to point out that when he said that there is no way an AK-47 is going to take care of you, that the U.S. government withdrew from Afghanistan, where, after 20 years, the mighty U.S. military that I may or may not have been a part of could not, in the end, dominate a population of people carrying, yes, AK-47s. Obviously, Joe Biden is not very smart. He's never been in the military, and really, he has no understanding of what the U.S. military can do. He doesn't know weapons, obviously. He doesn't know tactics, and he doesn't know strategy. He doesn't understand doctrine. Hell, he doesn't even know how to march. And yet, he'd propose to suggest what it requires to take on the government. Now, some say Joe Biden still believes the U.S. can ensure that Ukraine can beat Russia in a war. But I get his bigger point. Joe Biden thinks that the American government is now a king, that it can tell people what they are allowed to own, that he, the leader of government, can determine if people can use their constitutional right of self-defense. Joe Biden and people like him believe that the Second Amendment does not mean what it obviously means, but instead of the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, Joe Biden and people like him believe that the Second Amendment is subject to infringement based upon who is in power, and so long as they agree with Joe Biden. Joe Biden and people like him don't believe in the right to bear arms, but instead, he and they believe in gun control. Regardless of what they may say to your face or on the TV, there should be little doubt that he would support taking away the right to own guns by everyone except government if he could. Ironically, this is the very thing the Founding Fathers of the United States wanted to avoid. They wanted to avoid a tyranny of force, and they codified the right to bear arms within the Bill of Rights. It's number two. It's the Second Amendment. But let's humor him. Could Joe Biden be right? Do Americans actually need F-15s and Hellfire missiles to take on the United States government? No. Obviously, it will come down to a numbers game. We've said it before, and we'll say it again. It's a war of attrition. Whomever has the most combatants is going to win in this case. Neither side is so efficient that one of their persons is much more superior in effectiveness than the other side's persons. So whoever has the most people will eventually win. Now, if we look at only 3% of Americans and they decided to ignore the government, 
well, that's 30 to 35 million people choosing to ignore the government. If that happened, the U.S. government wouldn't have enough people to force compliance. The government can't know where all those people are. It can't track down 30 to 35 million people. As an example, thousands of illegal aliens have been entering the country for decades. And that's outside of the 15 million in the last few years. But thousands of people per year. But those illegals are given court dates years out. And it's common that people who illegally entered the country 10 years ago still have not seen a judge. Imagine what you'd need to do for 30 to 35 million people. How long would it take to get to them? Now imagine if these people likely had firearms, you'd need a four to eight person team to approach each one of them. How long will it take to get to their cases? Now to top it off, imagine if you don't exactly know where each one of them is. They're just in the society. They're just in the population. It's impossible. But one problem is that government always thinks it's the aggressor. It dismisses the idea that the aggressors will attack the government. It dismisses the idea that it may be on the defensive. People aren't going to wait to be attacked by the government. Either way, it's impossible to fight that many people within the country. There is too much land to cover, too many resources to be protected, and too many targets to defend. The U.S. government would be wholly unable to be everywhere that could be attacked. But let's break it down further. In such a conflict, it's not the entire government that will be required to fight citizens. It is the approximately 250,000 federal employees that use firearms as a condition of their jobs. This will be the Americans against the federal law enforcement agencies. Now, obviously, without the ability to enforce laws, laws mean absolutely nothing. Let's say only a million hardcore Americans decided that they were going to become ungovernable the federal government would be endangered. If individual Americans started targeting federal law enforcement officers, if they started attacking federal resources and agencies like the IRS, if they started attacking federal buildings, the U.S. government would be crippled almost immediately. It would not be able to protect everything everywhere. Going back in time, remember what one man, Timothy McVeigh, did when he attacked a federal building. Imagine thousands of people targeting federal buildings or federal employees. It would be a tragedy for the government, and it would just be a matter of time. The federal government would lose eventually. He who has the most will will eventually win. The Taliban had a saying that would apply to the American government just as it did in Afghanistan. The Taliban noted that the Americans had the watches, but the Taliban had the time. That is the same sentiment for the U.S. government in a war against the American people. The U.S. government has the watches, but the American people have the time. As more and more federal employees were targeted and victimized by Americans willing to fight and attack federal employees, more and more would begin to quit. The more federal employees that quit, the weaker and more desperate the U.S. government would become. Federal buildings would be targeted. Costs for security would skyrocket and push attacks further away from facilities and towards the private homes of federal employees. But why would Americans even fight back against their government? Well, in the United States, our government works because of this idea of the consent of the governed. 
This means that Americans allow themselves to be governed. They consent with the federal government efforts because it is the government they own. And they want their government and they want their country to be stable. They want laws and their government to be fairly applied on behalf of all citizens. And citizens consent because government lives up to the parameters placed upon it. Now, if that consent was withdrawn, the federal government is no longer the government of the people, by the people, for the people. It will have become our ruler, our dictator, our king, or our tyrant. It will have become the equivalent of the British government right before the colonial Americans decided to fight for their independence. The federal government would have to either accept that government has extended beyond the consent of the American citizens, or it will have to ignore the will of the people and fight them. Since the federal government largely lives in the echo chamber of Washington, D.C., it believes it can ignore most of the population in favor of only listening to itself. We all should recognize that governments are filled with people, specifically politicians, who naturally have a tendency towards tyranny. They got in their positions because they want to be in charge of others. They dream of being powerful. They want to tell others how to live. They strive to tell others how to live. And they don't ever want to give up that power. And when pressed, eventually, they will apply every resource they can to maintain their power over the population and over you. They will eventually realize that they need more resources to do so, because first they'll call in the police, only to realize that that is not enough. And then they will call in the last resort, the 800-pound gorilla. Hey there, my name is Kali. Today we're talking about the big beast sitting in the corner of the room. It's sitting there. It alone is why the U.S. government thinks it can so brazenly attack the rights of citizens. It is also the one reason why citizens haven't attacked the government yet. But the citizens are beginning to realize that they will also have to fight that gorilla. So the government uses that gorilla as the final threat against the citizens. That 800-pound gorilla sitting in the corner, that gorilla is the U.S. military. One day, that big beast will be directed to get off its ass and help save the U.S. federal government. Now, maybe you feel it. Maybe you see it coming. You've probably asked yourself the question because you see the vulnerability of government. You know that law enforcement alone cannot hope to beat the American people if the American people choose to fight it. There are only about 1.5 million law enforcement officers across the nation at any given time. And most law enforcement agencies are not like the departments in larger metropolitan cities with thousands of officers. No, the average law enforcement agency has between 9 and 12 officers, deputies, or constables. It does not take much opposition to make the average law enforcement agency ineffective. One planned and executed incident can lead to the loss of 50% of the average department in hours. This will cause their closure in most cases, and since small departments tend to live closer to their populations, when in danger, many law enforcement officers may have little choice but to quit, resign, or accept the will of those within its jurisdiction. And because the federal government cannot be everywhere and depends on state and local law enforcement to impose its will over the population, it is also very likely that many state, local, and municipal agencies 
will eventually stop coordinating with the federal government when it appears the federal government is attacking the population under a local law enforcement agency's jurisdiction. This is the equivalent of removing the teeth of a vicious dog. Sure, it can bark, but it can't bite. Now naturally, being the big dogs, the feds think they can tell everyone how to live and impose federal power over small communities where local law enforcement agencies are paid for, elected by, or appointed by those within that local community. This is the principle of federalism. So what does a federal government do when it realizes that it has no power in an extremely large portion of the country? Where 50 to 60% of the population ignores the will of federal government and where 80 to 90% of the population lives in areas where federal power cannot be projected efficiently. Well, eventually there will be a point when the military will have to play a role. It will have to become involved sooner or later. As is the case throughout history, the leaders of government will make a decision on using its military to put down rebellions or, in our modern parlance, it will have to put down insurgencies. And the U.S. government will choose to make that decision as well. One problem in the United States, however, is posse comitatus. Posse comitatus is the set of laws that says that the U.S. military cannot be used to enforce civilian law. Its entire purpose was just that, to limit the use of the U.S. military against the American people. It must be clarified and made obvious that if it were not for the limit of the U.S. military against the population, that the country would likely have already encountered and entered another civil war. The reason is because the use of military power against population is intoxicating to those who claim power over populations, such as when the Democrats used the U.S. military to round up Japanese Americans and put them in internment camps, or when the U.S. military was used to put down minor rebellions against coal companies during the Battle of Blair Mountain, which is episode 34, by the way, or when the military killed students at Kent State, or when the military had a hand in operating equipment and set the Branch Davidian compound on fire in Waco. Or you can even go back further, when it was used to put down slave revolts or put down Indian revolts. But yeah, that's what militaries will eventually get used for. In America, use of the military against civilians requires a declaration of martial law. And that will be declared. But the basic question is, is it even possible for the American population to take on the previously most powerful military on the planet? Look, you're just going to have to trust me. I'm not going to explain who's the most powerful military on the planet now, but it ain't the U.S. military. So first, let's run down the military branches and take a peek at how effective or ineffective they might be in a civil conflict. Let's start with our two maritime services. The Navy and the Coast Guard will not be able to bring the majority of their power to the fold to fight against Americans. Being maritime forces, they wield most power on the coast. Most of their resources are waterborne, this leaves a majority of their forces near the east and west coasts of the United States. Unfortunately, both of these coasts are largely filled with populations who are generally left-wing. They are supportive of government and inclined to be controlled by a federal government willing to fight the American people. Yeah, they'll be able to assist with staffing, intelligence, and logistics. The U.S. Navy and Coast Guard do have aircraft. The Coast Guard is limited. However, the Navy does have fighter aircraft and drones. They definitely are capable of attacking targets with missiles and bombs. What will definitely be used against the American people from the Coast Guard will be any land-based personnel as the Coast Guard is not 
under the Department of Defense as traditional branches are. They are under the Department of Homeland Security, and all resources the U.S. Coast Guard has can be used against the American people. The U.S. Navy has two general forces that we can guarantee will be used against the American people, and that's their significant military police and master of arms personnel, as well as their special operations forces. This would be the Navy SEALs. It'll also be those who provide logistics, intelligence, and support for the Navy SEALs. But overall, in America's upcoming civil revolution, the Navy and Coast Guard will have little impact on how the conflict ends. Their role will largely be in support. Now, the U.S. Air Force would bring a bunch of aerial resources to the fight, but will largely be limited to support roles as well. And if it matters to you, this is the same for the Space Force. But for our purposes right now, I'm going to include the U.S. Navy's aircraft because their roles overlap between the two branches. Yes, the Air Force had some strategic aircraft such as long-range bombers and their large fleet of strategic airlift or cargo airplanes. They have ground attack aircraft and plenty of other specialized aircraft. Unfortunately, they are not in a high contrast environment where a few threats can be identified amongst a minimally populated background. Targeting specific Americans will require much more discretion and intelligence to identify. The U.S. military won't be using most of their combat aircraft against American population. Attacking targets with bombs and missiles will only serve to anger those who support the government. That being said, the U.S. military drone fleet might see a heyday. If targets can be identified through intelligence sources, then drones will minimize collateral damage. However, as Americans begin to hear about and see houses in their cities, towns, or neighborhoods being destroyed by drones, they will not like it, and it's likely drone use will be ended for anything other than surveillance. No one wants to hear about missile strikes by their own military in their neighborhoods. No one. The U.S. Air Force has numerous large bases across the United States. They will be used to move resources around throughout the country where the federal government needs equipment and personnel. As far as ground personnel go, there will be one force that can be used disproportionately against the American populations and is the significant numbers of Air Force Security Force personnel. They are military police. They carry guns on a daily basis. They are technically light infantry trained. The problem is that unlike soldiers and Marines who train to deploy for wars around the world, the Air Force Security Forces have jobs year-round. They protect aircraft. They protect bases. They secure nuclear weapons, and that's their day-to-day -day task. Not many can be deployed, but when they are deployed, they will be used as military police. They will serve functions of guarding facilities, housing prisoners, or deploying military working dogs to detect explosives. Now, when it comes to civil conflict between Americans and their government, it was always going to be between the American people and the individual soldier and Marine. Any fight between government and the American people will end up with individual Americans fighting other individual Americans. It was always going to be a person with a gun fighting another person with a gun. It's the only way an upcoming American civil revolution can be fought. Entire cities can't be indiscriminately bombed. Weapons of mass destruction can't be used by federal government against the American people. And when the military is brought into the fight, that means Americans will face off against soldiers and Marines.
It is the soldiers and marines that will have to maneuver throughout the country and fight those willing to fight. Between the two branches, there are roughly 400,000 soldiers and marines that can be brought to bear by the military. If gunfights were to occur between Americans and the military, that number may come into play since military units tend to deploy as units. But overall, what does it mean? Although 400,000 is a lot of people, it is not in the context of an American population where an unknown 30 to 35 million are in opposition. The strength of soldiers and Marines is they are trained to work together as a team to destroy their opposition. They are highly mobile in anything from vehicles such as Humvees, general purpose trucks, or even armored personnel carriers. The Army and Marine Corps will also bring a large collection of helicopters to transport combatants to the areas where they're needed. This large number of helicopters will be required by the government in any civil conflict. But practically, if opposition is aware that soldiers or Marines are in an area, they will not attack them, maybe by ambush, but they'll see that the risk is too high. If someone were dumb enough to go head-to-head -head with a unit of fit, young Marines and soldiers, they will have planned it out, understanding what the Vietnamese understood when they fought the U.S. military. That's how 50- and 60-year-old rice farmers were able to cause casualties amongst the American military in Vietnam, and how 50- and 60-year-old goat herders were able to do the same thing in Afghanistan 50 years later. They'll recognize that the U.S. military won the vast majority of battles, some say all the battles, however, they still lost both wars and were forced to withdraw. Because this conflict will end in direct battle between riflemen, technology will have a minimal impact. It's intelligence and information that will determine the winner. Alright, so we spoke about the branches in general, but there are some general uses for the military as a whole. We see that it is the basic soldier or marine that will be drawn into the fighting population because there is always a need for gun toters who can be used for all manner of tasks from direct fighting to surveillance to guarding facilities and even to patrolling areas of concern. The roles that the military will be most valuable in are those that do not involve physical attack of the population, intelligence, logistics, and the pure numbers of personnel that can be provided by the military to accomplish varied non-combat tasks will be most valued. The military police role. Among all the branches of the military, there are nearly 100,000 military police. This specialty is required when the military is being used to counter the American population in general. Military police will play a large role in translating military force with civilian force. They are set up to work with federal, state, and local law enforcement personnel naturally. They share much of the same roots of all law enforcement personnel. They can be used to ensure government facilities are secured, they can be used to detain political prisoners, and they can be used to detect and deter terrorist threats, or in this case, insurgent threats. Another thing is they tend to be respected as part of the federal law enforcement community. Many police started their civilian law enforcement careers as military law enforcement. So as we see, the idea that the U.S. military will be moving around in large units searching for and meeting another unit on a battlefield is not what America's upcoming civil revolution will look like. The U.S. military will be used to move U.S. government supplies and move people around the country. It will use its intelligence collection abilities such as cyber intelligence collection. Military intelligence will also be used to collect open source information such as social media, 
U.S. military intelligence personnel will be used to augment non-military law enforcement personnel and even non-military agencies. Military surveillance aircraft will be used when necessary. However, the problem is surveillance aircraft can't be in the air 24 hours a day and they are exceedingly expensive to operate, especially over such a large battlefield, which is the entire country. Okay, I tried to keep this short but failed. So instead of an hour-long episode, I'm going to split this episode up. As you can imagine, any civil conflict in America must naturally involve the U.S. military at some point. So this is part one of two episodes on the 800-pound gorilla, the U.S. military. So come back, or better yet, subscribe so you can get notified of the next episode, and we'll conclude this topic on part two. Between you and me, it's going to get a little bit spicy. My name is Kali. I appreciate your attention, and to be honest, I love the analytics and numbers I'm seeing. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the upcoming American Revolution podcast.